Thank you, Dave, and good morning, everybody. Those who haven't met me, I'm Andrew. I'm the Senior Minister of St Mark's. We're going to be talking about that passage today. Now, I think there are some fundamental questions that all of us have to grapple with and try to answer as we go through life. So things like, what am I going to do with my time? Uh, what kind of relationships am I going to pursue? Uh, which uh, telecommunications provider should I use? It's a big one this week. Um, but the biggest question of all, I think, is who am I? Who am I? So uh, how would you answer that question? Who are you? Today, our reading, I think, gives us a perspective on the answer to that question uh, in light of our understanding of who Jesus is. So we're going to think more about that. Now, the question of who I am or who am I is the question of what we call our identity. Now, identity is a very fascinating topic, um, and it's something that actually gets talked quite a lot about in our culture at the moment, and issues are often raised about people's identity on the basis of how they form their identity on characteristics such as our ethnicity, our gender, our wealth, our education, and the way that we consume uh, the media, for instance. I was reminded a couple of weeks ago of a famous saying by the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, who said, uh, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. And the meaning of that saying, I think, as far as I can understand, is that who we really are is defined or discovered by what we do in the present moment and the decisions that we make day to day as we move forward through our life. But, he says, we can only really understand who we are by looking back over our t in time, over history, and looking at the sum of the things that we have done. And that's why I think regular reflection on the story of our life is important to do. So if we're going to make wise decisions about the future, we have to understand where we've come from. So when we think about our identity or who we are, uh, it's often understood backwards. We look at where we've come from, we look at the labels and the names that have attached themselves to us from, our, from the history of our life. And so if you, if, you are, if you do answer this question, I think we generally define our identity based on things from the past. So where was I born and where do I live? So I might say, I am an Australian. Or you might, we might talk about our family or the culture we come from. So I might say I'm someone from a, from a British background. We might be defined by our religion. I'm a Christian. The words that describe who we are. Now today, in our reading from Philippians, I believe what Paul does is show us that if we are Christians, we need to learn to draw the fundamental identity that we have and to answer the question, who am I? Not so much from looking backwards at what has been, but from looking forwards to who we are and who we will be in Christ. And we'll see as we go through that he gives himself to the Philippians as an example of what he's talking about. So this is the third sermon uh, that we're doing on Paul's letter to the Philippians this term, if you, have, if you haven't been here the last few weeks. Um, as we've seen previously, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, which is a city in Macedonia. And this is where Paul had founded a small Christian congregation a while before he wrote this letter. And Paul, at the time he was writing, was in prison. And he wanted to encourage the Philippians to live out their faith with integrity through the midst of their own struggles. 
And in the key image for this series, which we've taken, we've seen that he encourages them to shine like stars in the universe. He reminds them that their calling as Christians is to demonstrate by their lives that they are filled with the Holy Spirit of God and that Jesus is transforming them. And that's also the case for us too today. That's why we look at it. In the first week, we had a reminder of the process of what we call holiness or what we might call sanctification. That's a big word for it, uh, which is the process in which we grow to be more like God. And for Paul, the way he describes it, this is like a cycle or a spiral that takes place in our lives when we deepen our knowledge of God and who he is and therefore grow in our ability to love and show love to other people. And then we find that because our love for others has grown deeper, we know God more because God is love. And therefore, we grow more in the knowledge of him again, and so forth, and so on. And Bishop Paul reminded us of this last week when he came to visit us and spoke on this passage again. In the second week, then, we looked at what is the first hymn or the first Christian song ever written in chapter 2 of Philippians. Uh, And this hymn is a description of the way that Jesus emptied himself as he came into our world, emptied himself of his glory in order to enter into our lives and to suffer and to die for our salvation. And this is the process called kenosis. That was a big word for week two, kenosis. And Paul encourages us to imitate Christ then in our dealings with each other as we live in the world. So to empty ourselves, as he did, of the desire for power and for self-advantage and to seek the good of other people rather than our own. And today in chapter 3, he deals with, as I said, the idea of Christian identity or the way that Christians understand who we are. And as I've said, each week I might try and throw a big word in just because as you read things, it's helpful to, you know, study further. You might know these terms as they come up. So the first week, sanctification, to be holy. The second week, kenosis, to empty yourself. And this week I offer you this word, ontology, which means the being of who you are. So Paul describes for us a Christian ontology or a Christian identity in this chapter. This is what he's speaking about here, who we are. And in doing so, what he does is he grounds the identity that human beings have and we have in all that Christ is and all that he will be. And he offers the Philippians the example of rewriting the story of our lives, the narrative of their own identity, should no longer look backwards to what they used to be in order to understand who they are now, but to look forwards to what they will become to understand themselves. So let's look at what he actually says in the reading here, and we'll look at these verses together. Now, if you go back to the start of chapter 3, the first verses in verses 1 to 3 will give you the context of why Paul is saying what he did. So Paul was concerned at the time about spiritual teachers who were coming to the congregation in Philippi while he was away, and they were teaching them that in order to properly follow Jesus, what they needed to do was to obey the law of Moses in the Old Testament and to adopt the customs of the Jewish religion, such as circumcision. And Paul considers this to be undermining the gospel message that he's brought them, the good news of Jesus, Um, And it offers them a wrong identity for for the Philippian Christians to take up. And so he explains to them the problem with this teaching that they're getting. And as we read, he offers his own story as an example of how they might think about this question. And what Paul reminds them in this passage is, if in fact these false teachers are correct about what it means to be a Christian, Paul himself would be the very best Christian there ever was based purely on his personal history and his identity before he even encountered Jesus. So in verses 4 to 6, he says to them, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, 
of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So you can hear Paul has, in his own history, all the categories lined up for a spotless religious identity. He is from the right place, the right culture, he has the right faith, and his own practice in his life was scrupulous about obeying the laws in the Bible. He joined the Pharisees. They were a hyper-conservative religious sect at the time. And he was so zealous for his religion in practicing it that he persecuted Christians whom he considered were blaspheming God and leading people away from him. There's a parallel uh, for the character of Paul in the, um, in the Old Testament. In the book of Numbers, if you look at chapter 25, in that story there's a description of a man named Phineas. And he was venerated and honoured um, in, the, in the Old Testament for his zeal for the Lord due to the fact that he publicly executed a couple who were violating the sanctity of God's tabernacle. So Paul, in his own time, is saying he was another such person, another Phineas, a man who was so dedicated to his faith that he would do what needed to be done to preserve holiness and righteousness, even to the point of killing those who were doing the wrong thing. As he says, I was the best. I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. We might draw a contemporary analogy for the kind of person Paul was, perhaps, uh, in the life of the church. You know, if, if you think of the figure or, of a man, perhaps, who's a very dedicated Christian, the son of a clergy family or perhaps a missionary child, um, a man who attends church every week, tithes his income, he does his daily Bible readings, and he makes sure to share the gospel with everyone he meets. He's a respectable family man in the community, and perhaps in his spare time he writes strong articles online denouncing the false teachings that might be infiltrating the church. So this Christian of Christians, we might call this such a person. And Paul says he was that kind of person, faultless with regards to his religion. But on the road to Damascus, we hear Paul discovered something else. He encountered the risen Jesus. And the result of that is that all these previous components of his identity no longer mean anything to him. So in verse 7, he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Who is Paul? The identity that he has is no longer now lived backwards into his heritage and his actions, but it's lived forward now into Christ, into knowing him more deeply. In verse 8, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. So as I said, we, looked at, we talked about the idea of kenosis when we looked at chapter 2, which means to empty yourself. And we saw Jesus gave up everything and emptied himself in order to come and save the world. And Paul now, who follows Jesus, he says, I have my own emptying. He's emptied himself of all the markers of his identity up to this point in order to follow and serve Jesus as he should. All those things that he held to so tightly before the Hebrew of Hebrews, he says he now considers them a loss. He says that to the extent that they kept him from knowing Christ, as they did, he considers them garbage. Now, the word that's translated garbage here is an interesting word. I imagine that the folks on Bible translation committees are quite proper folk, and they might have trouble with it, because garbage is really a euphemism for a word that means something a little more down-to-earth than that. I'll give you a hint. In the King James Version, it's translated as dung. Um, so you can imagine what it really means. That's yes, what he considers this. 
So this dung is the stuff that these new teachers are trying to convince the Philippians to hold on to in Paul's mind instead of actually pursuing their new identity in Christ. And so having put out the garbage or shoveled the dung away, in verse 9 to 10 he goes to describe, well, what actual new identity does, it, does his identity consist of? So he said, my old identity was focused around a righteousness that comes from the law. That's about the accumulated acts of holiness and identity on his outside that he had. But he says the new identity he's pursuing is the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. It's a holiness, it's a rightness, it's a transformation that wells up from within as the Spirit of God fills him uh, through his faith in Christ. And that new identity is not about being publicly successful, it's not about being respected for what he's done. It's about following Jesus where Jesus has gone into the life of suffering and death that he showed, emptying himself, and then through that coming into the resurrection from the dead, this new life. In verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So he says, if in his life going forward, Paul follows Jesus and knows him, then somehow he trusts. His identity, who he is, will be transformed into the identity of Christ himself. And so he will be what he is. And this is the path, Paul says, that all Christians are invited to take. So he would say to them in Philippi, it's a grievous mistake instead to turn around and go back to the old ways of identity forming that rely on our own righteousness, that rely on our own heritage, our own achievements in life. And so Paul says this this is the way. And in the last few verses then that we read, he emphasises his dedication to this new identity that he's following. This is the journey that he's on now. He's not going back, as that song said, that we sang before. He hasn't finished it yet, he says. I haven't, I haven't got there yet. But he's pressing forward to take hold of his new identity in Christ to achieve this goal that God has called him to. So for Kierkegaard, as we heard, you know, life is understood backward and lived forward. I think what Paul would say, no, life is both understood and lived forward, both of them. If I want to know who I am, then I need to know who I'm going to become who I am going to be in Christ. So I think with that overview then, I think we could start applying Paul's teaching to ourselves uh, today and how that applies to us. The big question I asked you at the beginning was, who am I or who are you? You don't need to tell me who I am. I, maybe you could try. That'd be nice. But, uh, so who are we? All of us answer that question in different ways. I'm sure you'd have a lot to say. I think that Philippians uh, invites us to consider, though, how do we build our identity and on what basis? What are the labels that we attach to ourselves as we travel through life in our journey? What are the labels to do with our birthplace, our family, our body, our social situation, our religion, our politics? These are all components of the identity that we build. And some of those identities are very good things and they're part of our healthy living in the world and express that well. But some of the identities that we construct are also are not so healthy or that are given to us. So these may be based on trauma that we've experienced or bad decisions or mistakes that we've made. 
negative words that people have spoken over us. We say, this is who I am. Um, and those can feel like our identity as well. Um, but I think either one, what happens with all these identity markers, the good ones and the bad ones, I think we're seeing here that we're tempted to use them to build a sense of ourself and who we are that defines ourselves that, and we live from that, that is not necessarily who we really are. And as Paul found, in the end, it's a trap, our identity that we make. It diverts us from understanding who we really are and taking that up, our true identity in the world. The identity that we live from, that we build for ourselves across our life, can become a prison that prevents us from living well in the world, from knowing God and from having peace, joy and healthy relationships with other people. That's what Paul saw when he looked back and saw who he was before he encountered Christ. A perfect identity, which was a perfect prison for him. A false identity. But we learn here then that the true identity that we have is an eternal identity which we have waiting for us in Christ. And when we move forward into that, as Paul did, um, the identity doesn't raise, in Christ doesn't erase our past, but what it does, it shows us what can be let go. What is to be considered loss? What is not at the heart of who we are? And then uncovers for us the reality of our true self. Who does God intend us to be in the future? That's what we're being called towards. And this is the identity, I think, that in the Bible, it's called the image of God that he's placed in us, the who we really are, who we're really made to be. In a book I'm currently reading by the theologian Richard Rohr, he calls it the immortal diamond of the true self. The true self that's buried under who we make ourselves to be, who God really wants us to be. Jesus had himself a true descript a description, I think, of this hidden precious identity that he's calling us towards. He gave it in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 45. He gives two short parables, the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. So Jesus says in these parables about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then his joy went and in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So this treasure, this pearl, I think at some level we could say it is the true identity that we have in the kingdom of God, the real understanding of who we are and God's purposes for our lives. That needs to be pursued, that's what Paul is saying. And things that get in the way of that need to be put aside and need to be considered as a loss, perhaps even dung. Um, because what we receive in, in um, return, he says, will be worth it, the real treasure, to know who we really are. So when we make decisions about our lives, I think in what we're going to do with our day, we should make them on the basis of this, our identity in Christ. That is the foundational decision. Um, and we should be encouraged, I think, not to sit still, not to be complacent with what we have from our past and the identity we've constructed, um, but to move forward into holiness, into emptying ourselves, and to be the people that we were made to be. So I want to finish on this topic with an encouragement on this from First um, John chapter 3, verse 2 to 3, this letter. It's very similar, as John writes to the church, I think, in Ephesus, in the way that Paul encourages the Philippians. And he encourages them to know who they are. He says to them, Dear friends, now we are children of God. 
and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. I'm just going to give you a moment to reflect on that, then I'll say a word of prayer to close our reflection this morning. So let's just be silent before God and ask him to show us who we really are. Dear Lord, at the heart of all of us, we know the question is, who am I? And we thank you that this question has been eternally answered in Jesus for us. We ask that you would help us to press forward into the goal of knowing you and knowing who we are, allowing us to put aside what, we, what is lost, what is not worth holding on to, to press forward, to grow, and so that when we do come face to face with you, we will know who we really are in truth. I pray that all of us would be clear on that and be willing to put aside the things that we need to do that today. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.